Are you aware that suicide is one of the leading causes of death in United States? In fact, the CDC reports that uh, in 2021, 38,193 people died by suicide in the United States. That's one death in every 11 minutes. In the same year, 12.3 million adults seriously thought about suicide. 3.5 million adults made a plan to commit suicide. 1.7 million adults attempted suicide. Nothing speaks so powerfully of the corruption of God's good creation than death. And self-inflicted death is tragic. Even though every death is tragic, those of us that have had loved ones take their lives, their own lives, know how different it is. Because usually those who are left behind have a lot of questions. Questions like, why didn't she call me? Why didn't he ask me? Why didn't he seek for help? Why didn't I see it? Why didn't I help? There are so many questions that are left unanswered when someone takes their own life. And Christians are not exempt from this. In fact, Christians who have experienced violence, bullying, depression, and other mental illness issues, Christians who have terminal illnesses or have a persistent struggle with sadness, anger, and bitterness or feel rejected are likely to think of suicide or self-harm. This happens to young people and old people as well. We have Christians that because of what has happened and continued to happen in their lives, find themselves thinking about taking their own lives. And that's why this morning I'm asking, why is suicide so tragic? Because it's it is a painful experience f 
for the person that has thought about it, but also for the people that are left behind when it happens. It is sad when it happens to a Christian because Christians are supposed to be the most hopeful people, but they are humans too. And therefore, they are not exempt from the trials that people face. Why is suicide so tragic? Let's look at our text today to see if we can find the answer to that question. If you have been keen when our brother Miles was reading, you'll realize that in this chapter, the Lord is not mentioned. God is not mentioned in this specific chapter. It is a sad ending of the first book of Samuel. The king of Israel, the first king of Israel, Saul, whom we know so much about and we are tempted to dislike him, is leading the Israelites to war against their arch enemies, the Philistines. But the Israelites are overwhelmed by the Philistines. They are fleeing and dying. And they run to Mount Gilboa to try and get an advantage to the Philistines. But as they do that, the Philistines pursue them and Saul's three children are killed. Jonathan, Abinadab, and Melchior, or Milkishua. Jonathan, we all know about him. He's David's friend, greatest friend. Jonathan took David's side against his own father. In fact, Jonathan recognized that David was going to be a king and he would serve under him. Jonathan is Saul's favorite son. He's the prince of Israel. He's dead. His brother is dead. His two brothers. And Saul the king is injured. He's wounded critically. He's dying. And you expect that at this very moment, the moment of his when he is at the lowest point of his life, that King Saul would call upon the Lord. Because that's what should happen to Christians when they find themselves in those low moments of life. When you find yourself, when you are in a helplessness or hopelessness situation, that's you should call the Lord. You should turn to the Lord for help. When everything else is falling apart. As a Christian, 
we expect that you would remember that the Lord is always with you and that you would turn to him, you would cry out to him. Jesus, when he was on the cross, when he was carrying the sin of the world, he cried out and he said, my, fa my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When the weight of our sins was upon him. The thief on the cross, just before he breathed his last, he called unto the Lord. You expect Saul to do the same. But let's take a pause here and just flip the page to chapter 30. At the same time, when the Israelites are fighting the Philistines, David, who had moved to the Philistine side, he actually wanted to go and fight with, for the Philistines against the Israelites. But the Philistines said, no, you cannot fight with us. You go back. So David began his journey to return to Ziklag, where him and his army were staying. When they arrived there, they found that the Amalekites had invaded and kidnapped their wives and their children and reduced Ziklag to ashes. So in chapter 30, from verse 3, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Verse 4, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. This is a sign of desperation. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nebo of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men, listen to this, his men were talking of stoning him. David is at his lowest moment here. He's not only running from Saul, his own men want to kill him. Because of what has happened to their families. David is lonely here, helpless and hopeless. His own wives and children have been taken. And the friends, the people that should protect him, want to stone him to death. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his son's and daughters. But this is where you say thank you Lord. But David found strength in the Lord his God. I think in James says 
David encouraged himself in the Lord. In his lowest moment, David turns to the Lord. In his lowest moment, King Saul, instead of turning to the Lord, instead of calling on the Lord for help, for forgiveness, he turns to his armor bearer. In verse 4 of chapter 31, Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through. All these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me and mock me. Saul realizes that he is dying. But instead of waiting for his moment to die. Instead of turning to the Lord, at least using his last breath to call on the Lord, he asks his armor bearer, this is his last prayer, asking his armor bearer to kill him. Saul was appointed by God when the Israelites asked for a king. He was appointed, anointed, and empowered by the Spirit of God to lead his people from their enemies, the Philistines. Appointed, anointed, and empowered by the Spirit of God. And of course... We see him in his leadership taking matters on his own hands. We see him leaning on his own understanding. We see him disobeying the Lord. But at least I would expect that at this point when he is helpless and hopeless, distressed and depressed, at least at this point he would think of the Lord and call unto him for help. That's what I would expect. And it's always sad when I personally as a pastor see Christians that when when they're being pressed by life and health issues, instead of coming closer to the Lord and instead of coming closer to the fellowship, that's when they move far and far away. That's one of the saddest things that are, it's one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor when I see it happening. Because I know as a believer, you may be facing issues in your life, issues that make you feel unwanted and important, issues that make you feel there is no purpose for you to continue living. But the closer you are to the Lord, the closer you are to the fellowship, the stronger you become in your spirit. The more your hope is revived, 
the more you realize that there is, there is still something that I can look forward to. The more you are encouraged and, and it saddens my heart to see believers run away from the fellowship. I'm not talking about those people who are not able to come because of what they are going through. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about people that are, because of what is happening in their lives, you can just see them drifting slowly, moving away, avoiding other believers. And some of them would say, I want to deal with this issue on my way or on my own. You need other believers. There's a reason you are in God's family. So when Saul asks the armor bearer to run him through, his armor bearer, we are told, was terrified and would not do it. He's supposed to protect him not to kill him. And look at verse 5. When the armor bearer saw, no, uh, when he did not do it, we are told, so Saul took his own sword and fell on it. Saul took his own sword, and he fell on it. He took his own life. And I'm not trying to ignore issues that may make people want to commit suicide. I'm not ignoring what Saul is going through here. I know that it is a painful experience. I know that there is a lot that is going on in his mind. In fact, just go back to chapter 28. When Saul was going to this battle, Instead of consulting the Lord, he went to a medium. He went to a woman that had some spiritual power. He went to consult Samuel's ghost. And Samuel's ghost when it appeared, when this ghost appeared to Saul, from verse 16, this is what the ghost, Samuel's ghost, said to Saul. Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. 
the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. Verse 19 is a very sad verse. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. So probably these words are in his mind as well. And he can see his sons dead. He, he is hopeless, as hopeless as a king can be at this point. But I still think that this is the moment that he should have submitted himself to the Lord. Because his suicide reveals his refusal to submit to God's will. And that's what suicide does. It is a refusal to submit to God's will. It is a refusal to allow God to do what he believes to be best for us. Even at our lowest moment. The point of this message is not to make anyone feel guilty. The point of this message is to encourage us to realize that the Lord is always there for us. David, at his lowest moment, turns to the Lord. Saul, at his lowest moment, takes his own life. There are several people in the Bible that have considered, I would say, suicide. They, they have considered death. But at least when I look at Jonah and Elijah, they asked the Lord to take their lives. It's enough, Lord, take my life. Saul does not even do that. He does it himself. There's another reason why I think Saul is wrong here. Look at verse 11. Because when Saul kills himself, it brings fear to the Israelites. They uh, run away from their cities. The Philistines come in and they take over. And when they found Saul, they come in. They came in and cut off his head and took it to their temple and hung his body. And they were celebrating to their gods, showing that the God of Israel has been defeated. Look at verse 11. 
in verse 11, when the people of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant, valiant men marched through the night to Bethshan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Bethshan and went to Jabesh where they burnt them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh and they fasted seven days. They grieved for Saul. The people of Jabesh Gilead are responding to Saul because of what Saul did to them. Look at verse chapter 11 of 1 of, of Samuel. Chapter 11. From verse 1 to 11, Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treat with us, and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gorge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. Verse 4, when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen and he asked, what is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel proclaiming, this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mastered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000, and those of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were Elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left. Together. These are people that Saul could have turned to for help as well. Because Saul helped them. 
When he was going to fight the Philistines, when he realized that the Philistines were overcoming them, Saul could have called for the people of Jabesh Gilead to come and help him. The fact that they can show up in his death and show that they care tells us that they would have cared for him when he was alive. You know, when you find yourself in those moments of loneliness and hopelessness and helplessness, when you are distressed and depressed, one of the things that the enemy wants you to think is that no one cares. He wants you to think that even God doesn't care. He wants you to think that you are alone. No one is thinking about you. You have no reason to continue living. You are better dead than alive. And if you are a Christian, you will start convincing yourself, I am saved. God will understand. He will still receive me. I would rather die because you are believing a lie. Saul's suicide was unnecessary because the people of Gilead who cared for him when he was dead would have cared for him, would have come to his rescue when he was alive. Now listen to me. Why is suicide so tragic? Because it is unnecessary. You and I have brothers and sisters in Christ that we can turn to for help. You and I, God has given us brothers and sisters in Christ that we can call for help. God has brought us into his family so that we can have many brothers and sisters. You may not be close to your family, your loved ones, the closest people to you that are related to you may not care about you, may not call you, send you a card. They don't even want to know how you are doing, but your brothers and sisters in Christ will continue to care for you. And those are the people you can turn to when you are tempted to take your own life. You know, the answer and the hope for Christians and for every humanity is found in Jesus Christ. And this Jesus has given you brothers and sisters. He has given you a family, a family of God. That's why it's so important for us to always be part of a fellowship because God has given us brothers and sisters to turn to, brothers and sisters that we can call. In fact, let me just ask you right now. If you know that you would help, if you know that you would, willing, you would be willing to help if someone called you 
and told you that she is thinking of taking her life. If you know from the deepest part of your, your heart that you would do something about it, please stand up. Remain standing. If you can't stand, just sit. I will assume you wanted to stand. If, if for any reason you cannot stand, uh, maybe it's painful for you, just remain seated. I remember when I was a youth pastor, there was a college student who called me. Just remain standing. She called me. She said, Valerian, I want to talk to you right now. And I left everything I was doing. I took a minivan and went to her house. And I found her seated on a couch. She told me to come in. And she had a, a cup in front of her. I assumed it was tea. And she told me, my father, she was the only daughter of her father, her mother, her mother had died sometimes back. My father has, has just died. And I looked at her, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And she told me, I don't want you to tell me anything about God. I don't want you to tell me that God loves me, that he cares for me. Don't tell me anything about that. And I sat there for the first time in my life, I didn't have words. And then I found myself just asking her, can we pray? And she said, go ahead and pray. And I prayed. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And when I finished praying, she stood up, she took that cup, and she went to the sink and poured it, whatever was in there, and then she threw the cup in the trash can. And I'm seated there just looking at her, not knowing what's going on. And then she said, thank you for coming. I was about to take my own life. That was poison and I was ready to drink it. I don't even know why I called you, but thank you for coming. Of course, we prayed again and then I called the pastor to let him know and the women of the church came to her rescue and, and she's doing well today. She has her own family. The CDC says that when you are tempted to commit suicide, when you have suicidal thoughts, what's the number that you can call? Nine. Eight, eight. That's the number, that's the line that you can call for help. And it's okay to call that line. But I want you to know 
that when you find yourself in those moments that you are tempted to commit suicide, to take your own life, when you find yourself there, I want you to know that your brothers and sisters in Christ are your first line of defense. They are your first line of defense. Christ has given them to you so that they can be of help to you. You can call 988. But your brothers and sisters are your first line of defense. And I want you to take that to your heart so that you can value the fellowship that God has given you. So that you can value the brothers and sisters that you have in Christ. So that you can realize when the enemy is telling you that no one cares, no one loves you, even God doesn't care. You may remember that he does. And that's why he has given you his family. And you can turn to your brothers and sisters for help. They are your first line of defense. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you have called us your children. And I thank you for the way you minister to us. Each one of us, you know those of us that have had these thoughts. You know those of us that may have them in the future. I pray, God, that you may use this message to minister to someone today. To help them realize that they are still cared for. That you care for them. And that you have provided each one of us for one another and that through it Lord you may be glorified in Jesus name Amen